Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Exposure Ninja podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about awkward questions that digital marketers should answer. We work at a digital marketing agency, and so obviously we're you know pretty pretty in deep, so we're pretty keen on digital marketing. However, there are some some difficult questions which we get. What I'm going to do today in this episode is we're going to put those questions to Tim, and we're going to see what his uh, what his honest answers are to these questions, and maybe this will give you an insight into how digital marketing works as well. So basically, these are the questions that everyone's kind of always been wondered, but been a little bit too scared to ask us and other companies, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So some of these questions are you could you could argue some of these questions are quite rude so we've asked people to be as to be as honest as they can you know some of these questions kind of suggest that digital marketing is basically worthless so um wow, before, okay. i'm just gonna just gonna Sweet. warn you now tim this sounds hope, great <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna enjoy it though so <laughs> don't enjoy it too right. much Loz. Remember, you okay. work for Explosion Ninja as well. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, I want to know what your answers are to these questions because you know these these are things which I, which some some of them are things which I wonder. So anyway, okay, let's let's get stuck in. First question, Tim: Does digital marketing add value? What I mean by that question is, uh, you know, people watch TV because they enjoy it. People purchase a, a chair because they need somewhere to sit. People purchase a burger because they, they want something tasty to eat. You know, what what is the value of marketing? What, why even bother? Is, is it, you know, what are we adding to the world? Okay, that's an interesting it's a question. It, it's a deep philosophical question to start yeah. you with. Um, okay, so digital marketing, um, marketing more generally, definitely adds value if you sell something. So if you sell something and marketing helps you sell more, that is definitely a clear value add. I, I think, you know, obviously talking about marketing's impact on society in general, and I don't want to get too philosophical because it's not really my nature, but people get happiness from products, right? We, we all have products which make us happy. Um, whether, you know, I'm sure you get pleasure from gaming PCs and games and I get pleasure from iPhones and iMacs and stuff like that. I wouldn't have these things and you wouldn't have your things if it wasn't for marketing. So I think when marketing is helping people buy products that they like, so helping people find products that they like and helping people build a relationship with products, which isn't just, you know, purely person and functional item. I think that's where the value is added. So yeah, I, I do think marketing adds value to society as a whole, specifically to businesses, definitely, because if we can help you sell more of your stuff, then you're very happy indeed. Okay, yeah, it's a, a nice, succinct answer. I like that. By um, the way, so you've got to, if, if, if I give an answer to any of these questions, which you're like, nah, I'm not buying that, you've got to call me up <laughs> on it. <laughs> I will. So, so I, what I would say to that is, yes. Yeah, so, so definitely, I'd say there is value to to marketers saying, "Hey, did you know that this product exists? Did did you know that that, that this thing that's really really cool is is out there and you could buy it?" Even even people that hate seem to hate advertising, people do actually appreciate that. Like people wouldn't know about about their new iPhone or whatever if there wasn't you know advert adverts. My my kind of counter to that is that you know. There's there's adverts for 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 loo roll. There's adverts for for washing up liquid. Like, do do we need those forms of adverts? We already know that those things exist. Why why do we why do those adverts still exist? Even though they're they're not kind of providing a value to to a customer. They're not saying, hey, this cool thing exists. They're just saying you should buy our product and not and not this this other guy's. If if we take the assumption that people that make loo roll adverts are tracking their ads which is not necessarily a logical assumption because a lot of this is really fluffy, you know, TV brand awareness rubbish. Um, but if we took the assumption that these people are tracking their ads and they know that when they run some ads, more people buy the stuff, then yes, advertising is clearly providing value. It's making people feel a closer connection to the product. When they're in that shop, they get a good feeling by buying that product, even if it costs more. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. So I think anytime, you know, as long as people are tracking their ads and as long as there's a, a link between the advertising and the product sales, then then yeah, advertising is is clearly providing value, I think. Yeah, I mean, people wouldn't wouldn't 
buy that thing versus the other thing if they didn't see that there was some some form of benefit to it whatever that benefit might be it's sometimes difficult to to kind of pinpoint but but yeah yeah and even if there's no clear benefit right so you know coca-cola doesn't advertise on taste it, there's no there's no real rational benefit for drinking coke it's just destroying you from the inside so the reason that people buy it is because they have associations with it and even association even if it's not a rational thing there's still a there's still a perceived value there so you know value doesn't really inherently exist at all it's just all in our perception so i think that's as fluffy as i'm going to get today <laughs> <laughs> okay so um given that we've we've covered the you know deep and philosophical question about how marketing adds value to the world why do you think it is that so many people seem to hate advertising people seem to to get really really annoyed about adverts that you know pe people seem to think you know that adv advertisers are terrible people for for interrupting them from doing the, the fun things that they're doing in their life perhaps you know why is it that so many people hate hate advertising when you know it does add some form of value well i hate ads too and i'm in marketing so like how does that sit well the trouble is most advertising is so poorly targeted and the adverts are so terrible we're pounded by relentless TV ads, which have absolutely nothing to do with the product. The product has absolutely nothing to do with us. So, you know, when I'm watching TV or something, I'm seeing ads for all sorts of alcohols and, well, maybe not alcohols, but, you know, stuff that's totally not relevant to me at all. This is poor targeting and this will go away. The, I think the best thing ever is companies like Google and Facebook taking all of our data and knowing everything about us. Some people get a little bit funny about, you know, data protection and all of that. Yeah, but I, like I that's, think that's a... as, as long as this data is anonymous, I just want them to know everything about me. Because if they know everything about me, guess what? Every ad I see on Facebook is going to be targeted to me. Right? Every ad I see is going to be relevant to me. And because Facebook and Google are direct response mediums, if the advertisers are switched on and they're getting more and more switched on, then not only is every ad I see going to be relevant to me, but every ad I see is going to be a decent ad because the underperforming ones are going to get weeded out. The decent performing ones, people are going to be happy to spend more money and the auction system is going to mean that as a Facebook user or as a Google user or as a website user, when I'm seeing remarketing ads, I'm only going to see the best quality, most effective ads, which are relevant to me personally. So I'm personally really looking forward to the day where when I walk into, I always think, you know, you walk into the motorway service station and you stand in front of an ad in the toilet, which is just so poorly targeted. It's telling me about my van fleet, right? What yeah, a pile I've of seen that exact ad. Yeah, and <laughs> not, like, it doesn't matter how good that ad is, I'm not gonna buy a van because you know whatever so i've got my phone on me i've got facebook on my phone i'm signed into facebook why can't that ad instead show me something really interesting and really relevant let's get something which is you know i was on a website earlier and then i go into the toilet and i see an ad for the remarketing ad and it's saying hey we, you know we've just sent you an email or here's a hidden benefit of this product here. So I, I think where we're going and where advertising will go is more personalization, much more relevance. And I think that will remove so much of the hate people have of advertising because we'll only see stuff which is really well targeted. Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of good examples that I'm just going to go through because they, 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 they basically make your exact point for you. So uh, my first example is that I really enjoy watching Top Gear. What Top Gear is hilarious and obviously that is not on tv anymore but it used to be on tv uh where but i really am not at all interested in cars i could i think that cars are, are pretty pretty dull but you know the, the the top gear episodes obviously they they kind of do something that's interesting why this is relevant is because advertisers that in the ad breaks and in, in top in something like top gear they're always going to be looking they're always going to be advertising cars and and i have zero interest in that and if they were, if they were, if, you know, if those advertisers were tailored to me, then they wouldn't be showing cars there. It's, it's kind of one of those things where like, it's obvious that they should be targeted, they should be showing that, but, but yeah, it, to me, it's not relevant. Whereas the alternative to that is, is YouTube. I've, I've literally gone on YouTube in order to search for a trailer for a game, which is with, for a video game, which has just been announced. 
and the advert which I saw on YouTube is the trailer for that video game. Like YouTube knows me so incredibly well that they already are showing me the advert before I've even had a chance to search for the thing. And like, I'm literally about to search for that thing. And then they're showing me an advert for it already. And, it, and, and that's kind of, that's what I want. That's what I want to see, you know, the things that are, that are interesting to me. And, and YouTube does that TV adverts just, just don't do that. No. And it's, it's a combination of data. We have more data about YouTube visitors than we have about TV watchers. And it's a combination of the platform being so heavily focused on direct response. So click on this thing to get this thing, which means that an advertiser gets immediately rewarded for a good quality ad. So that fast feedback loop means that there will become a time when you just go onto YouTube and the ads that you see are as interesting and relevant to you as the videos that you were searching for. That, that is where things will go. The more data that these companies have about us, the better the ads are going to get. So yeah, I know the data protection thing's a bit bit of a touchy issue, but I say just have it all. If I could give them my, you know, my contact list and they could find out all the interests, which I'm, you know, which I'm kind of like a Venn diagram with the things that I'm interested in, that my friends are interested in, then brilliant, like bring it on, have it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, and that ties really well to the first question, obviously, you know, the value of, of good marketing is showing me stuff that I want. And, and I don't hate advertising when it's, and it's advertising a product that I'm interested in. So yeah, yeah no one I, does. It, it's, it's, I, I can be watching TV with my wife and she we, we'll be complaining about ads and then something will come on for something that she really wants. And all of a sudden it's not about, oh, you know, I hate these ads. It's like, oh, oh, I really like that candle. Oh, that looks really good. And it, it, you yeah. know, it's not the advertising. It's the, being pounded by boring, irrelevant messages. That's the thing that people hate. TV ads do do a couple of things which are pretty good. So the the Coca Cola is a perfect example of that. There are there are people that that don't feel that you know Christmas has has started until they've seen that first Coca Cola advert, and and other some people also think that that the John Lewis advert that that comes out each year is is an event as well. So there's there's forms of advertising which people love as well as ones that they hate. So people don't hate advertising. What they actually hate is badly targeted ads. And uh, I, I wish more people understood that. Let's move on. So next question is um, a different subject. We're talking about advertising. Next question is about SEO. Uh, so my argument here is that, um, so let's define a couple of things first. So black hat SEO is what people call it when they're trying to trick Google into showing websites at the top of the, of the search results. My argument is that really all SEO is black hat SEO. I mean, what are, what are we doing when we're when we're when we're doing search engine optimization? Well, we're we're making sure that the, the correct words appear in the correct order on a on a web page in order to get that web page to rank for a search phrase. You know, there, arguably there could be content that's not written as as well from an SEO perspective that that is better for that user. So so arguably, you know, any form of SEO is 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 black hat SEO. Well, do, you, do you agree with that? I'm guessing probably not. But, surprisingly um, not, yeah, no. What's your argument? <laughs> As a best-selling <laughs> SEO author, no. <laughs> um, it's, I, I, I totally get the argument, though. The argument is SEO, uh, sorry, manipulation of search results equals black hat. SEO equals manipulation. So therefore, SEO equals black hat, right? I, I get that argument. I, I, I think it, it, it makes sense on that level. The thing I'd, I'd kind of question is the manipulation part. So SEO equals manipulation. I question that. I th I th for me, it's a little bit like wearing makeup, right? So it's the same argument. Are we trying to trick Google? Is when I put on my makeup to look really beautiful, am I trying to trick people? Well, um, I mean, not me personally, but as a you know human. Uh, or the same thing as revising to pass for an exam, right? So am I trying to trick the exam board by appearing to be better prepared um, knowing more about this topic than I would ordinarily know in my day-to-day -day life? It's exactly the same argument. So all we're really doing with SEO is putting our best foot forward. We're giving Google what it needs to see in order to rank a website highly. We're not trying to fake any kind of results. We're not trying to appear to be bigger than we are really we're just trying to say oh you know what these things are important to google so we're going to make sure that our website has all of these important things in because our website is important and because our website deserves to rank i think one of the changes that's happened in seo since google penguin update is 
one of the questions we ask and we ask our clients is, does your website deserve to rank at the top of Google? Because if it doesn't deserve to rank, you know, if it's got three pages and you're competing against Wikipedia, you don't deserve to rank, right? It doesn't matter what we do, that site's not going to outrank Wikipedia because you've got three pages and, you know, they're all full of the same word 150 times. So if as long as you build something which deserves to rank and then you optimize it so you make it as appealing as it can possibly be, if Google decides to show it well, then I think that's fine. I don't think that's black hat at all. I don't have a problem with that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Yes, I see where you're going from. So, um, yeah, definitely, I can I can understand the argument that what we're doing is we're just showing Google what it wants to see. Um, my argument to that is: Do you think that it's possible for less well-written content to actually be better content? So, so when somebody types something into Google, they they are searching for the best website that answers their question, whatever their question might might happen to be. Um, my, my, my argument is that it's possible that somebody's, you know, not, not interested at all in SEO. They just want to provide that answer and they might provide that answer without any makeup. So it's the most detailed answer that exists on the internet, but it's, it's not the one that appears at the top of Google. Do you, do you, do you think, first off, do you think that that is possible? And and secondly, is it possible to find someone who is very good at makeup more attractive than a natural beauty who doesn't bother with makeup? Is that the basic question? Uh, I, I guess so, yeah, in regards to the, to the make, makeup um, um, analogy, yeah. but I, I think the, the answer is the, the same as the makeup thing, really. If, if you rank better than a site which is quote-unquote better than you or more deserving of you because it's actually a better website... Um, there's going to become a time where you don't outrank them anymore, right? If your website doesn't do the job it does, it needs to, if it doesn't provide the value that it's promising, then you're going to have a high bounce rate from SERP and you're going to lose your ranking in a kind of technical sense. So Google has measures in place so that the best sites do win and the most relevant sites do win. But a lot of SEO is about making sure that your website is as useful as possible. We always say when people are, you know, oh, I, I can't think of any words to write on my page. How do I get to 300 words or whatever we say? Just make it the most useful page that you possibly can about that topic. And you're going to stand the best chance of, of doing this. So, yeah, I, I think if you're just trying to, if you're trying to take a shortcut, I guess what I'm trying to say, if you're trying to take a shortcut, and get some pile of crap ranking really well, then yeah, you know, that that's tough. Um, it's unlikely and it's not going to last. Whereas if what you're really trying to do with your SEO is actually make the best website possible, then yeah, I think that's completely legit. Okay. So what you're saying is that um, Google search rankings are a, are a meritocracy. So they the, the best things rise to the top sort of naturally they're getting that way that's how google wants it to be and it's a lot closer to that than when you could go onto fiverr and buy a hundred thousand links and outrank a good site so yeah that if you're thinking about seo in 2017 then you're typically thinking about a world where google is a meritocracy yeah <laughs> okay cool <laughs> you're um... allowed to disagree with us. <laughs> I've 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 tried as hard as I can to disagree with that I think. So yeah, I mean I think that, you know if if some I I I see what you're saying so if it doesn't answer the question well enough then then you know the the one that does answer the question better will will go further up. Um I mean I the only thing I can I can say in regards to that is what about if you know the, the one at the top answers the question you know good enough but but not the best. <laughs> you know, maybe it, it doesn't sort of, it, it has, it, the, the bounce rate isn't, isn't high because, you know, it answers the question. It just doesn't answer the question in as much detail as, as it could have done, I suppose. Well, if it scratches the itch, good enough is good enough. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. All right. That's one for Larry on Sergey to solve. <laughs> Next question is around CRO. Um, so conversion rate optimization. Uh, so conversion rate optimization is essentially sort of designing a, a web page or, or designing a, a web a website in order to flow uh, in order to increase the conversion rate um, in order to get people to actually 
purchase a product. My my argument is if if you know changing the the add to cart button from the from the bottom of the page to the top of the page it changes somebody's opinion changes somebody's mind that they weren't going to buy in the first situation and then they do buy in the second situation in a way isn't that a form of mind control haven't we essentially like tricked that person into, into purchasing that product Re- really they weren't going to they weren't that excited otherwise they would have you know looked for for where the buy button was they would they wouldn't have stopped just because the button wasn't right there underneath their finger so does does CRO trick people into buying something that they're actually not that excited about anyway, but they only bought it because it was really, really easy to do so? Yeah, it's interesting. That's an interesting question. So basically, are we, yeah, are we, I guess it's similar to the SEO thing, isn't it? Are we manipulating? It's, it's manipulation, yeah. Yeah. What I would say there is I'd say CRO is is powerful. It's not powerful enough yet to make people do things that they don't want to do. So if that person didn't want to convert, they wouldn't have converted. When we're optimizing a website for conversions, what we're really trying to do is remove obstacles to purchase. So, or remove obstacles to the desired action. So it works from the assumption that when I land on a page about whatever, when I land on a product page, CRO works on the assumption that I want to buy that product or I want to find out more about that product and I want to buy it. So what we're trying to do is remove any possible ops- obstacle for me to purchase that product. So if the buy button is at the bottom of the page and I want to buy that product, but I can't because I can't figure out where the button is, to place that button where I expect to see it is not really manipulation. It's just giving me exactly what I need. So yeah, I'd say CR is more about just making it really easy for people to do the things that they already want to do. So, um, so some of the things I, mean, I, I think you're right, definitely that you know making it as easy as possible is is a a, a noble goal. That is something that's good for everybody. W- what I wonder is thing is CRO techniques, for example, an an artificial sale. So you know you've got 24 hours to buy this before the before the price goes back up. Yeah. Now you know there's there's lots of research that, that shows that something like that makes people go, oh oh. It's, the, the price is going to go back up. I need to get this now. And then actually it turns out that, that really, you know, they're not that excited about the product. They just are excited about the discount. Do you think that the things like that trick people? Uh, that's a really good question. I guess that's also related to when you see, for example, on Amazon, you see was $9.99 now two ninety nine, And you can't help thinking, yeah. mm, was it really nine ninety nine, or am I just being had to, you know, are they just trying to artificially raise the perceived value of it? Yeah, I mean, you know, physical stores have been doing this for for decades, hundreds of years, probably, you know, they'll, they'll sell a, pro- a product purely at a ridiculous price purely so they can advertise it 50% off later. I'm, I'm going to concede this one. I think that is manipulation. Yeah, I'm going to you know, hands up, you win this one. I definitely think that is manipulation. The next question then is, do we want to use that? Do we want to know that this this pattern exists with human behavior? And do we want to take advantage of that? Or do we want to say, do you know what, we're never going to sell on a discount, we're never going to have a, you know, a scarcity deal or anything like that. That's a question that people have to make on their own. But yeah, I, I, I take that that I think that is manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, I have overcome back for this as well. So you, <laughs> you conceded the point, but I'm still going to argue. With you. <laughs> so um, JC Penny, I don't know if you if you know much about this, but JC Penny, the, the, C- the um, CEO of, of that company, they decided that they were going to get rid of all of their discounts. They said, well, yeah, like, you know, we are basically lying to people, we're going to get rid of all these discounts. And so they, they, yeah, just, just stop them, stop discounts, stop having any discounts. They just had sensible, rational pricing from the, from day one, when those products went into stores. And what happened is they lost market share massively. It, it turns out that people really, really want a discount. <laughs> Do you people know what? love a good discount. When you've bought something on a really good deal and someone says, Oh, I like those shoes or whatever. And you're like, Oh yeah. I got them for thirty pounds. RRP two hundred and fifty or whatever. There's so much value in that, isn't there? It's it's like it's like when you buy the the that thing on a massive discount, 
it's like you're buying the discount as much as you're buying the product. And who's to say that that's wrong? Because people feel like they won. They feel like they got one over. I mean, all value and all all attraction is totally subjective, right? So I guess this is just a different form of attraction, a different form of perceived value, if you like. So yeah, okay, all right, I double concede. (laughs) I concede to your overruling of the original decision. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're at two all now then. Uh, Yeah, so I've I've won the CRO question twice <laughs> i don't think i well not the cro one that's more like a sales technique that's not cro cro is just optimizing a web page layout this is like this is hardcore okay, manipulation. more advanced stuff yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right three two to me <laughs> all right so we've got i've got a couple of easy questions for you uh so why is seo from exposure ninja so expensive Lo- loads of companies out there will sell seo services for much cheaper than we do you could purchase seo from from loads of companies and it wouldn't cost anywhere near as much as it does from us this is this is well okay (laughs) i'm gonna say i'm gonna challenge on two fronts i'm gonna challenge this one so first thing the first challenge i'm gonna say is why is exposure ninja seo expensive I would say Exposure Ninja SEO is not expensive. If you look at the marketplace and the amounts that people are charging for the sort of things that we're doing. So for digital PR and outreach, to be getting that at our price range is, as far as I'm aware, totally unheard of. So most people that are at our price range are doing very little outreach or link building at all. They're purely just optimizing websites. So that's the first thing I challenge you on. The second thing I would say is, you can get SEO from other websites um, much or other companies much cheaper. So you might be able to get something called SEO, but actually what you're getting is very different. So Fiverr, I can go on Fiverr probably and buy quite a lot of backlinks for $5. They are, you're buying, you're technically buying a backlink. What you really think you're buying is a ranking benefit and a long-term ranking benefit. So I'd actually argue that, I mean, although on Fiverr, you can get 10,000 backlinks for $5 or whatever, you can't really argue with the fact that you're getting those backlinks for that money. But what you can say is whether that's good SEO. Um, And I would suggest that it's not. Um, That's (laughs) some of the most expensive SEO you can get on the planet because it costs a hell of a lot to clean up that sort of rubbish. Um, once you've been uh, once you've been removed from uh, from Google or Google just completely ignores all of that work um, altogether. So, firstly, I, I don't think we're expensive considering the quality of of the work that we're doing and the things that we're actually doing for that money. And then compared to the the cheap low low cost people, um, I've I've seen reports from. I don't want to turn this into an explosion ninja pitch or me bitching about other other SEO companies, but that's me bitching about other SEO companies is how this stuff ends up. You know, this is what it ends up turning into anytime we talk about prices. I've seen reports <laughs> from really quote unquote reputable SEO companies, which are nothing more than an automated printout from Majestic SEO. So every month that software churns out a report, sends it to the client, they're paying good money to a reputable company and that in that report there's absolutely no evidence of any work going on at all it's just a report saying here are the errors with your website um here are the problems here are the links that you've got here's where you're ranking here's where it's moved and in that there's no evidence to say and here are the things that we've actually done for you this month so i'd I'd really can, I'd be really careful about buying any SEO or anything um, on price. And I'd also be really careful about making sure you understand exactly what you're getting. Because as you say, there's a massive variation in price and a massive variation in services. And uh, it can lead to very, very different results. So <laughs> does that answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> I th- I, that is, that is, yeah, definitely the kind of answer that, that I was expecting. And, um, and I, and the problem with this one is that I can't disagree with this because, because I, I think that that that's pretty much exactly it. Um, if anybody's listening to this podcast episode and they've got some answers that they, they've got some questions they want to ask Tim in regards to that, 
then I would love to put them to him in a future episode. But um, I I agree with Tim on this one, so I can't I, I can't really uh, really argue argue the point on this. <laughs> yeah, send me the most difficult, horrendous questions. I mean, some of these questions have been submitted by ninjas, right? Some of the yeah explosion ninja team. Some of the they're the questions that they've kind of always had in the back of their minds or that they've heard a client say or something like that. So yes, I mean, not all of these are coming from you and none of these are coming from me, I don't think. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this this question specifically is is one which I know that uh, if our clients don't don't say it out loud, I'm sure some of them are thinking it. So that's that's why I want to ask this that question specifically. And I would say that the same, the exact same thing happens with SEO being expensive, and you and you you know and you can buy cheap SEO, but what you're buying is a backlink that's actually not worth anything. You get exactly the same thing with Facebook advertising as well. So with with Facebook, people will sell likes, will will sell Facebook likes, and yeah, you can buy a thousand Facebook likes for a fiver, but you're not actually getting the benefit that you want, which is you know customers that are interested in your business what you're getting is people in the philippines that don't care about your business that's what you're getting they're you know they're not real people in the philippines you you know maybe you could sell to people in the philippines they're not real people in the philippines they're just people that are you know have made a facebook account and and that's all that it really is so yeah when it's when something's cheap maybe people should be questioning if it's too too good a deal to be to be actually true yeah, or just ask what what's the actual benefit? What's the reason that you're doing this? So what's the reason that you want a load of likes on your Facebook page? If it's to make you just look big, then yeah, do you know what? That is the cheapest way of doing it. But if it's to actually have a business impact, so if it's to make more profit and get more customers, then that's no good because what you've just done is you've watered down your Facebook audience, which means when you run some ads, if you target the people that like your page, a thousand of those people are just utter rubbish. So Facebook's got no data on it. So the ads don't work. And you know, something like that, it can seem like a nice little shortcut, but it really stitches you up. And it can be quite a difficult thing to, to kind of overcome something like that if you've destroyed your, your Facebook page audience that way. Anyway, <laughs> next question. <laughs> Right, I'm I'm gonna leave a, a little pause there just in case uh, Riley needs to edit this next question out because I don't I haven't yeah put this one past you yet. So I know that that one of your 12 month goals for Exposure Ninja is to be biggest digital marketing agency with the most social following social followers. We could buy that today, and we could become that today. Um, do you think that that's a good goal to have? The the real goal is to be the UK's digital mark, number one digital marketing authority as measured by social engagement, not just followers. So likes, comments, shares, and of course, follows. So that's the goal. And of course, reviews as well. All of that stuff is important. So the reason that the actual goal is the authority that comes for that, not necessarily just the likes. You're right, the likes we could buy. And at some point we probably will buy some likes through ads, but not, you know, just necessarily just a pile of likes. But yeah, <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, buy, buy some likes legitimately, yeah. No, that's definitely worthwhile. Okay, so I've got another easy question for you and then we'll go on to one more hard one. So uh, next easy question is, um, we're a digital marketing agency, we sell loads of digital marketing services. Essentially, our, you know, we could make the case to, to any of our clients that all of the services are relevant, all of the services are something that they should have. And we, we probably could make that case legitimately for most of them. Um, so our business essentially relies on selling all of those services to that client. What's to stop us from selling them even when they're not a good fit? Our business doesn't rely on selling people into anything. It relies on retaining them into things. We've got a team of 60 people. There's absolutely no way we could sell enough stuff each month to feed all of those 60 mouths if we weren't retaining people, if we weren't keeping people. So actually, our goal is not to sell people onto stuff, it's to keep people onto things. And there's only one way that you can keep someone paying for a marketing service, and that's to show them results. So it's actually it would be against our, our kind of interest to sell people onto stuff that wasn't relevant for them. Because we don't have contracts, 
Um, it, uh, you know, there are boiler rooms out there. There's a PPC boiler room just down the road from here. And what they try and do is they try and sell as many people onto Google AdWords management, really low price thing is 99 pounds a month, three month minimum. As soon as they sign up, the three month notice period starts. So it's actually a four month minimum. And then once someone tries to phone at the end of the three month, they actually add on another month as well. So it ends up being a five month thing. So that's an example of a business which is set up just to sell. So they don't really care about the service. The service is kind of secondary, doesn't really matter because they've locked someone into a contract. If you're not working on contracts like we do, then it's, you know, you have to retain someone. Any digital marketing agency that works that way has to retain people. So we can't really, uh, we can't really sell people onto stuff that that they don't, they're not going to benefit from. Okay, so got a couple of follow up questions for that. So um, you, you say that you wouldn't, yeah, you wouldn't want to sell sell something to a customer unless it's going to, you know, benefit them and it's going to benefit our relationship. Are there any campaigns which you truly regret running? Oh, that's a and good if question. so, if so. You know what was it and why there's a website that we sold um in our first year and i didn't sell it but as the company owner it's still my responsibility i didn't sell it this guy was sold a website for a very low price and he was promised the earth because when the person who was selling it initially looked at the project it looked fairly simple what we ended up doing was spending about 12 months uh, we went eighteen thousand pound negative on the project. Uh, we I think we built him at about three k, and it ended up costing us twenty one k to build, and we ended up having to give up on it. I had to give him a call and say we cannot build this thing for you. We gave him his money back, and yeah, I freaking regret that because at that point we really could have done with the eighteen k. So yeah, there's there's uh, that's the one that kind of sticks out. We should have. We shouldn't have taken on that job. We, I should have looked at the spec more closely. We learned from that. We haven't done it since, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, there's, that's a nightmare. <laughs> to be in that situation is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible for us. It's horrible for him. And it was, that was talking to that guy. Uh, he was upset, obviously, because he'd spent a year um, working on this project with our dev team. And we hadn't been able to get it done. It, you know, it, there was a lot of pain along the way for him because he was getting frustrated. Obviously, we were getting frustrated, and having to let him know that that thing, you know, that project was over was it, that was probably the worst day of my life. Um, we had a very long chat on the phone, oh, wow. and we agreed to kind of go our separate ways and stuff. And it was in the first year of the company. You know, it was a bunch of people who had never run a company before, and we were figuring things out. Um, we're, we're better than that now, and you know that, that sort of thing leads to massive changes. But yeah, not not fun. <laughs> <laughs> wow, serious, serious for a moment there. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So um, I guess that kind of goes on to this follow up question that I've got here would you would you turn down a client that is that is trying to hire exposure ninja would you turn them down for example because you know you just don't think that their business is going to work or like like in that case because you don't think that exposure ninja could could build that website or or you know run that campaign or whatever it might be would would you turn down businesses and, and what are the kind of guidelines that you would say for that um yeah so that's a really it's a it's a really interesting ethical question would you turn someone down because you think their business wouldn't work we've had cases in exposure ninja where one of the team has said i don't think we should take these guys on because i think their product is stupid and i'll have a look at it and there was an example of, of one particular product where the website was horrific the product looked ridiculous like it looked like a joke they were basically selling very expensive water the the general consensus amongst the team was that we shouldn't work with these guys because you know their heads are in the cloud it's not going to happen they're not going to see results when we looked into it a bit more detail we saw actually they had some endorsements from some really high profile people and having done a bit of research into that market actually there's quite a lot of demand for this thing so we ended up taking it on and it actually kind of caused a bit of a shift in our mindsets because previously we thought our goal is to help these business owners to realize if they're running a business which has absolutely no chance. But actually what our goal is to do is to give every business the very best possible chance it has of succeeding. 
So we're not to know if a business is going to work or not. All we can do is get that business in front of the best possible audience. We can make it look as good as it possibly can. We can write as compelling copy as we possibly can and give that product a chance to succeed in the market. So we wouldn't turn down someone because one person doesn't think it will work. Now, obviously, if they're selling, you know, if they're selling a, a felt tip pen for 150 billion pounds, you know, that's going to be tough. On the other hand, they only need one sale. <laughs> um, but you know, that's something like that's going to be tough. Where we would turn down people is if the thing that they're buying, we can't deliver. So for example, that that um, office booking thing, the thing that that client thought he was buying is something that we couldn't deliver. So in that sort of case, yes, we definitely turn them down. Okay. Yeah, I think that's something which I've definitely come to realize as well. I've considered, you know, that my job is to get sales for businesses. And I've recently realized that actually my job is to get the best possible people to be looking at, at those products or businesses or to be looking at that website if it's a service business. And that's a slightly different goal. That's not to say that, um, you know, I don't make changes to a Facebook ca advertising campaign based on, you know, a hunch on something that I think is going to be getting more sales. But it, it does kind of change my my opinion of, you know, whether or not a campaign is, is a success or not is, is based on whether or not I've delivered, you know, people to that campaign. And, and, and if those people have are people that I can demonstrate are interested in that product, even if they don't purchase it. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, the, and it, uh, you know, I hate to get all serious in this episode, but, <laughs> um, but that's, it, it's a, that's the dilemma of any marketing company, right? It's about the goal of the marketing campaign. Yes, of course, the aim is to make sales and to generate revenue for our clients. That is, of course, what we're here to do. That's what they're buying. And that's what guides everything that we do. We need to make these guys ROI if they're to, you know, if they're to continue working with us. So it's our goal in a self-serving way. And also because that's what makes us feel good about our lives. But the risk in the business has to be taken on by the business owner. There is a risk that a business doesn't succeed because they've, they don't have a good market match. There's not enough market there. That is not the risk to be borne by the marketing company as a business owner. And as an entrepreneur, you have to take on all of the risk yourself. So the risk is by hiring a marketing company, I get a lot of people onto my website. The website can be beautiful. They decide that they don't like the product or they don't like how I've packaged a product. That is my risk. That is not somebody else's risk. It's a very stressful thing for somebody to realize that their business isn't viable because there's no market for it or something like that. And of course, if we can, if we think that that might be the case, then we'll say to someone, are you definitely sure that there's market for this? Are you, you know, is this definitely proven? We'll, we'll make our concerns known. But at the end of the day, you know, all, all we've got to do is get as many people to that site. We've got to give it the best chance possible. We were watching a program. Um, I was probably, I don't know if you've seen like behind the scenes in the zoo. And there was a little, I can't remember what he was. I think he was a little penguin. Um, and this little penguin was struggling for life. And it reminded me of a small business. He's struggling for life. And the zookeepers are, they're like feeding him through the spoon and they're giving him the nutrition and they're taking the other penguins away so they don't stand on him or whatever. They're giving him the best possible chance to succeed. They are the marketing company. But that penguin is responsible for his own life. He has to be the one that puts in the effort. He has to be the one that breaks through and actually survives. No one can survive for him. So I think that's a, a kind of parallel. Yeah. And then, and then the last thing I would say, just to kind of uh, touch on that as well, is the uh, conversation which I often have with clients is, you know, um, tell me a bit about your target market. Tell me a bit about the people that you want to that you want to target. And, and, um, and they'll say, well, shouldn't you provide that answer? Because you know, you work in, in the in uh, Facebook advertising, and I'll say, well, well, actually, you're the one that knows your business best, you're the one that, that can best answer this question. And, and, probably if they can't answer that question, you know, who's your target market and why should they buy your product, then they probably shouldn't be in business because they they need to go away and think about that before before obviously, you know, getting getting advertising and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I mean, people can certainly come with a, a brand new product, and it's an unestablished market. And they can say, you know, we expect 
you guys, we expect our marketing company, whether it's Exposure Ninja or another company or whatever, we expect the marketing to tell us who is most suitable for this. And we can definitely do that. But to make a product with no target audience is plain irresponsible. You're completely right. If somebody's building a product or they're building a service and they don't clearly have their target buyer in mind, well, you know, that's like an artist just drawing a picture. And, you know, they haven't even thought about who's going to want it. They, you know, you're just, you're just built. It's like digging a hole. It's just pointless. Every product, every service should exist to serve a particular need from a particular type of person. If you don't have the need and the person in mind, then what are the chances of you making a product which has any success? They're basically zero. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say that you have to be 100% clear in your mind, but it's just that if you're kind of designing a product, then surely you at some point you must be thinking, well, um, you know, what is the benefit of this product? Why have I created this product? And if you can't think of, you know, a reason why somebody wants it, then then you're in trouble. If you can think of a reason why somebody wants it, then all you need is some help to developing what that target market is, then you, we can figure that we can help you with that in regards to, you know, how do you best position that kind of product? But if you can't think of a reason why somebody needs it, then then, then you're in trouble. I guess the exception to that is, let's say that I've come up with a better way to do X, right? So I don't know what that might be. Let's say that I make wireless electricity that I can transmit over a mile. I don't I don't need to develop that thinking of the target market, right? I've just I've just completely disrupted an entire industry by creating a new standard. So in that case, I don't really need to think about market and that that's more a yeah. case of how oh, you, do we but best what you take. do need is you do need to re- to understand what is the benefit of your product, I think. So so for that you're you're with that kind of product you're focusing on on the benefit and then the target market is obvious it's it's people that that would derive a, a benefit from having this uh, obviously there's 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 kind of subtleties about you know drilling down into that and you know who exactly is it that gets a benefit but but as long as you've got a benefit for your product then I think you've already you've already figured out your target market at least a little bit yeah i guess yeah that that's right so the answer is if you're making a product without a clear benefit, then you're an idiot. <laughs> or you're not an idiot, you're just misguided. You're in for a tough couple of months. <laughs> Let's get back to some more questions. Yeah, I know that we're probably running out of time soon. So maybe maybe one or two more questions. My next question is, uh, we provide people with a free marketing plan. That's obviously you can go over to ExposureNinja.com slash forward slash review and you can get your free marketing plan from there. One question that I wonder if if clients are asking themselves once they've received that is why do we need you? Like, couldn't couldn't we just you look at the marketing plan and say, oh, okay, so you told me that that my SEO needs work, and you've also shown me how to how to how to do that. You've you've explained to me, you know, what's wrong with my Facebook marketing strategy or something like that. You know, why why is it that somebody needs needs exposure ninja at that point, or or, or do they even need exposure ninja at that point? Okay, so I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to change it and make it more applicable to the the wider listener base, right? So, um, the the question is, how much can I give away and still be useful to my audience? And this applies to pretty much every business. So, particularly if you have something which is you know, the, the product that you sell is centered on a particular knowledge or an understanding which you have, which your market doesn't have. So for example, SEO, let's say that you tell me how to do SEO. Why do I need you? You've just told me how to do it. Or let's say that you are, uh, you're an HR training company. Well, you've just given me a free video series, which shows me how to train all my HR people or whatever. Why do I need you? Why do I care about you? You've just given away your best stuff for free. You know, on a, on a kind of logical level, that argument completely makes sense. What actually happens and what people actually find when they give away their best stuff, when, the, you know, writing a book is a classic example. How to get to the top of Google, you can buy on Amazon for $1.99. If you follow everything in that book, you will get to the top of Google in any market. You just got to do enough of it. The issue is the enough part just because I know the basic principles, or even if I understand in depth how to do something doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to do it. I know how to paint walls. I haven't painted a wall in my entire life because it's a it's not a good use of my time. It's not a good use of my expertise. The last time I tried to do some DIY, I drilled a hole in a wall, 
the all the red brick dust came out from the hole because I didn't know to put anything down because I'd never drilled a hole before. It completely ruined the white carpet. We had to replace all of the carpet in the lounge and the hall because the hall matched. Right, that DIY, I saved, what, 20 quid doing that TV bracket myself. It took me about a day. It was probably the worst day of my life. I got so stressed out and we ended up having to spend thousands on new carpet. That's an example of when it pays to have someone do the work, even if you know how to do it. So I could probably do that again. I probably wouldn't destroy the carpet this time, but it wouldn't be good. When someone takes off that bracket, they're going to be horrified at the hole that's underneath. And you know, it's exactly the same with with SEO or digital marketing or HR training or anything. Just because I know broadly what I should be doing doesn't mean I should necessarily be the one who's doing it. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for me, I've been thinking about this question quite a lot. Um, and I, and for me, I think there's there's two reasons why why you need why you might need digital marketing help um, or or any help, as you said. So the first is experience. You might not have enough experience to do it yourself. You might not know what needs doing. And that's, that's, you know, kind of the first, the, the, the first thing, um, with the free marketing plan it's it's arguably, we give you enough experience that, that you know, what needs doing. The second thing, um, is, uh, can be time. So people might, might have the experience and they might, they might know what needs doing, but they might not have the time to do it. So, um, that's, that's another reason why they, why they might do it. Um, so I think generally speaking, it falls into one of those two categories. Either you don't feel that you've got enough experience to do it well enough, or you don't feel that you've got enough time to do it. Even if you do know what you're doing. Completely. I think we've got one more question on this last question. Uh, SEO companies generally won't unless they're pretty, pretty reckless, they won't guarantee a result at the top of Google. So they won't set um, some, some people do guarantee first place on the top of Google, but generally speaking, you don't want to be going with those companies. Why is it that we should, that we should spend money with a company that won't even promise to deliver what I want, which is a, a first place at the top of Google? Why, why would I bother spending money with a company that, that won't promise that? Cause that's, that's what I want as a business. I want, I want to be at the top of Google. I don't want anything else. Yeah, I totally get that. So Laura, I think Laura wrote a, a kind of really concise summary of this. She said, I want to know exactly when I will be at the top of Google and I'm annoyed that marketing agencies won't give me a clear cut answer. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing that's a quote from a customer somewhere. Yes, one or many. Yeah, okay. So the, the first thing is anyone who can guarantee ranking at the top of Google or anyone who does guarantee ranking at the top of Google will lie about other things as well. The main reason that no one wants to give you a clear cut answer about when you will rank at the top of Google is because all we are doing when we are doing SEO is we are giving Google signals. We are not controlling Google. We don't have a special relationship with Google. There's not some Google guy whose initials are SEO who's deciding and he's placing websites in a particular place. All we're doing is feeding information into an algorithm which is changing multiple times a month. So as, as exposure, the only thing that we will ever guarantee is the stuff that is completely within our control. So we will guarantee the work that's being done. We will guarantee the number of hours and all of that stuff. So we wouldn't, we never guarantee Google uh, search results. The other reason why nobody is going to give a clear cut answer on that is because the ranking of a particular website, ha there are 200 ranking indicators we're not able to do things like control how much your competitors do. So let's say that we're in a market where there's, you know, someone's really switched on and all their competitors are just rubbish. And they come to the switched on people come to us and say, or any marketing agency and say, we want to get to the top of Google. And we think, oh yeah, do you know what? We could probably take this market. It's a bunch of people who are asleep. We reckon we could dominate. We reckon we can get top position. Even then we won't guarantee it because who's to say that, a bunch of the others on seeing these results will decide to spend, you know, a, a massive multiple and on SEO, and they'll put in loads of work. And you know, one of them knows the owner of the Guardian newspaper, and they get a backlink from the homepage and, you know, whatever. So there's so much stuff that's outside of control. Yes, it might be extraordinary. And there might be have to be ridiculous circumstances in order for it to happen. But even so, It'd be just it's just irresponsible to guarantee things that you, you can't actually directly control. Having said that, that doesn't mean that you should accept woolly answers from SEO companies. So if someone's saying to you, 
um, you say, how long is it going to take to get to the top of Google? And they say, we can't really say anything. So you're just going to have to trust us. Sign this 12-month contract. That's not a good enough answer to that question. The answer to that question needs to be, here's what you should expect. Here's broadly what you should expect. So we're not going to look so far down the line that we'd say you're going to be top of Google. But we're going to say, you should expect to see significant ranking improvement in three or four or six months time. You should expect to see significant traffic improvement in this time. So even though we're not going to guarantee a particular ranking, we will say these are the things that you should look at. These are the criteria that you should measure the success of this campaign. So if somebody's buying SEO, that's the sort of thing that they should be looking for. So don't ask a company when you're going to be at the top of Google. Just say what sort of results can I expect and what sort of time frame should I be looking at? Okay. So I think that there's kind of two immediate sort of follow ups for that. It- which to me would be, you know, based on what you said, obviously, like you say, there's a lot of outs, uh, things outside of your control. I, if I'm a if I'm a, a business in that situation, considering whether or not to to hire somebody to do SEO for me, one thing that I would be thinking is, am I gambling with my marketing budget? Am I just just gambling and I might I might get nothing for this money and and you know the first question that you want to answer there is is it a worthwhile investment to be to be doing SEO I'm sure your answer would be yes but I'm sure you'll give a more detailed about why and then the second the second answer second question is um you know how do I actually know that you know that you know maybe everything goes wrong you know you did your best work but um we didn't get the results that we're hoping for because there were outside control outside factors how do i know that that everything that that is what happened how do i know that i actually you did your best work how do i how do i know that you just didn't spend you know take my money and then do nothing and and told me that that there were outside factors yeah uh, that's a good question i mean the the first question is is seo a risk Um, Is it still worth the money, even if we don't know for sure that we're going to get a result? Yes, it is a risk, but all marketing is a risk. There's a risk that when you get people to your website, they're not going to like what they find. Or when they get to your website, they're not going to like the product. So yes, there is a risk there. Any marketing is a risk. If it was a if it was a plain home run, if you knew that everything was going to be completely successful, then there would be no profit margin in it because supply and demand would say that you're spending exactly what you're making on a customer and you know it wouldn't be running the business so yes there's a risk because there's also a massive reward when you do get ranking the second question about if everything if not everything is inside control is there a chance that nothing will happen yes again there is that that is a that's a risk that's inherent in in seo and actually inherent in in lots of in lots of channels so what you've got to do to kind of offset that as a company who's looking at investing time or money in SEO is is say, firstly, do I trust the strategy? Do I believe that this is, is going to work for me? You have to trust your gut, trust your logic as well, and, and say, does what I'm being told support evidence which I see? If it is, then okay, we, we've got a plan which I'm going to follow. And then trust the people that are telling you this as well. So do I trust the plan? And do I trust that these people are going to deliver the plan? And then am I free enough? Do I know what what I need to be looking at along the way to check that that plan is being delivered? It, it is a risk. I mean, the first month on an SEO campaign is the biggest risk of all, because if you do a good job of choosing your SEO provider, you're going to get something good and you're going to get good work. If you don't do a good job of choosing your SEO provider, you're going to get absolutely nothing, right? Nothing is going to happen. And it'll be, you might realize after one month that you're locked in a 12 month contract of people that do absolutely nothing and won't even talk to you. So that's the that's the kind of the, the risk that you've got there. But once the campaign is running, it has to be a dialogue. It has to be a it's it's a collaboration. It really is. There has to be communication. And as long as things are improving for you, as long as you see enough to justify continuing, then you should continue. If you're not seeing enough to justify continuing, then you've got to ask some questions. And don't be afraid of asking them. You know, your SEO company should be there to answer tough questions. And if you're not sure about something or you're not seeing any improvement, then you've got to bring it up. You really do. Um, so uh, yeah, it's not a not a clinical clean cut answer. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there is a risk involved, but you know, arguably it's a risk worth taking as long as you get somebody that's going to that, that you trust to do it. I think no, I think that's a good answer. Okay, Lawrence, before we finish, I've got a tough question for you. I'm quite interested in. Let's say that 
Exposure Ninja, who you work for, takes on a client that you personally don't agree with, you actually don't like either the business or, you know, offends your beliefs, whether it's like a religious thing or an ethical thing or a moral thing. And your job is to run a Facebook ad campaign to promote this business. What do you do? Do you work on the campaign or do you say, do you know what, this doesn't agree with me, I'm gone? That is a really interesting question. That's a really interesting question. So I think that the first part of my answer is that, as we discussed, you don't personally have to be excited about a product or a service. You don't personally have to be excited about about that thing in order to do the best that you can to advertise for something. I think you can you can demonstrate the benefits of something without believing in it yourself. Um, there are loads of examples of. of advertising campaigns that I've already run where it's not something I would buy, but it's still something that I'm happy advertising. What you're asking is kind of a stage deeper than that. So arguably what you're asking is, you know, that person, if I don't agree with them, if I think they're selling something which ethically they shouldn't be selling, I think by by advertising that that thing, what I'm doing is I'm giving that person a platform i'm uh, uh getting that person to reach an audience and maybe they're giving a they're providing a message that i don't agree with um however i think i still would advertise something like that because i think that free speech is important and that may seem quite quite a, a philosophical kind of answer but what i mean by that is that you know some people will try and shut somebody down and they'll say you know i don't want you to talking about this i don't want you to to express your opinion whereas um and i'm thinking that you know in this situation they might be advertising something that that some people would disagree with i think that a much better response is to allow them their platform to allow them to talk about their beliefs and to then counter those beliefs and so i think that i would still advertise and i would still try and get them the audience that they want and i would hope that people can overcome that and people can can argue against them yeah that's that's fair enough that's fair enough so you you actually would advertise something which you fundamentally disagreed with because you believe in free speech so strongly I think so. Yeah, I think I, I think that, you know, it's never useful to to suppress a, an opinion that somebody else has. It's never that's never a useful thing to do. I think what's much more useful is to have a discussion about that and to explain to them exactly why they're wrong. I've actually got um, there's this actually happened. We ha- have a leather, a client that sells a lot of, of, of leather bags and um, and just leather products. And we've got a lot of vegan ninjas on the team and some of them are vegan for health reasons. Some of them are vegan for ethical reasons. And um, because, you know, that the whole, the whole, you know, the cruelty and and all of that side of things, which, which happens in, in, in some industries from animal products. So we had a, a a very ethically driven ninja as as a lot of our ninjas are, who said, "I, I, I don't feel comfortable working on this campaign because I'm essentially contributing to the slaughter of animals. And that goes against my beliefs. And in that, in you know, in that case, there's there's absolutely no way that we would say, well, that's tough. You've got to, you've got to work on this campaign because if if someone feels strongly about it, you you don't want them working on the campaign because they're not going to do their best work. I mean, that person is is not going to put in a hundred percent if they fundamentally believe that what they're doing is is evil. I guess, yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting one. I get our approach will always be to ask people and if anybody has an issue which they feel is going to prevent them from doing their best work we'll pull them off and and we'll get someone else to do it instead because you know as a client or as any company you want people that are aligned with your beliefs um working on the campaign but um but yeah there there are other vegetarian and vegan ninjas on the team that said do you know what i don't agree with this but i'm i'm you know i'm here to do a job i'm here to do the best job i possibly can for this company and that means working on the campaign so I, i guess it's a a kind of individual choice really isn't it yeah i mean i certainly wouldn't i certainly wouldn't think less of anybody that chose that chose not to definitely like like you say there there is definitely an argument that by helping this company you're furthering their cause and if you don't believe in that cause then is that the right thing to be doing and i'm not i'm not entirely sure i'm going to think about this question and i may change my answer because 
yeah, arguably you're you're furthering that person's cause, and you know there's a difference between free speech and and you know presenting just their arguments without any counter arguments. So that's that's an interesting dilemma. You know you know what I think. You know what I think. I think that this this episode, this podcast episode, should become a a recurring feature, and we should ask anybody out there that's listening to this episode to. Uh, to provide us some feedback and to ask their difficult questions, and we'll put them to the most relevant ninja at Exposure Ninja for for whatever questions we get. I think this should become a, a future thing. Submit your really difficult questions, your ethical dilemmas. Submit them to Exposure Ninja on Facebook. Yeah, they don't have to be ethical dilemmas. They can be anything mar- digital marketing related that has a digital marketing angle that you think that is a question that you want us to answer because you think. That it's a difficult question, and we would love to love to try. Yeah, be- best way to, if you want to do that would be to to probably leave your comments on Facebook. We could set up some kind of form for it, but I think probably for now, Facebook's probably going to be the best way to do it. Sweet. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for listening. I hope everybody's enjoyed this episode. It's been a bit different to our usual episodes. If you have enjoyed the episode, please do leave a review um, on whichever podcast platform you've uh, you've found the Exposure Ninja podcast on. Um, and one quick plug just for the uh, Exposure Ninja marketing review. If you haven't signed up for a marketing review already, they're free. Go to www.exposureninja.com forward slash review. You can get a free marketing review and we will do our absolute best to break down your website website and tell you what is right with it and what is wrong with it and to give you some ideas about what you should be doing next to um, improve the digital marketing on your business. 